0: Somebody had a birthday. <laughs> Y'all know it was your pastor's birthday over the weekend, right? Happy birthday. I would lead us all in singing of happy birthday, but you don't want that. And I'm going to use every bit of the 20 minutes I got, buddy. All right. Make sure you're praying for your pastor. These are very, very, it's always difficult times. We are the church militant, right? Right there's always forces and powers of the world and darkness and the flesh that's fighting against us as we work as the people of God on mission for God and the pastor stands at the forefront. So I just uh, every time I try to remember to come and speak as a as a guest, I remind the congregation pray and fast for your pastor. Amen. And we're glad you're going to be around for a while. All right. <laughs> Well, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, I may be a new face for some of you. Some of you know me really well. I feel very much a part of this congregation and this church family uh, for several different reasons. I meet with a bunch of you all on Wednesday mornings at Sunny Steele's uh, business there. I see a bunch of you guys out there. Greetings to you. Um, also, we have our graduation services typically here at Madison Methodist Church, for which we're really grateful. So I come bearing greetings on behalf of uh, Wesley Biblical Seminary and, and also uh, with an expression of gratitude. Uh, Thank you so much for your partnership and for always thinking of us and for lifting us up in prayer, as we too, not just these local congregations, but as a a Methodist-oriented and affiliated seminary, and I will say uh, the biggest global Methodist seminary in the world as of date, right here in, well, Ridgeland, Mississippi, that's a big deal, right here at home, right? We're excited about this, um, that you're lifting us up in prayer as we too uh, are fighting these battles. So I'm thrilled to not just be here this morning for the sermon time, but also during Sunday school hour, as Barry mentioned, a few classes are going to joined together, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, as I understand you've been studying and thinking about and hopefully worshiping uh, the Holy Spirit together. So it's great to be here. I also bring uh, greetings from my my family. I didn't bring them with me because I don't think there's room for them all here, Um, and I just love to see this full, full church. It's just a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Um, So, that said, I'm going to go back to our text uh, that we just read in Exodus chapter 3. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to go ahead and pull those out. Um, I'm using Barry's Bible this morning because I was going to use my phone, but I need to flip through several references. I should have brought my paper Bible. But in any case, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. This morning. And I want to point out just a few dynamics inside of this text that I think will provide us a good frame for a way into thinking and talking about the Holy Spirit. I want to point out to you, I don't know if you picked up on this, as the scripture was read, there's a certain word or concept that's repeated about seven times in this really short text. We're looking at six verses here, and there's a word that's repeated. And typically, as you know, when you're doing your, your Bible study or reading scripture or analyzing scripture, you always try to look for those repeated words, right? Because that typically means that the text is trying to tell us something. And we know the word of God is rich and deep and infinite. And there's always more things that can be saying. You go, you go to Romans chapter eight, and that's the spirit chapter. It's spirit, 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 spirit. But in Exodus three, it's a little more subtle. And there's a word that's repeated. And I'm going to Highlight that word as I read through this text again. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great, and here's the noun version, sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, he called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, I'm gonna stop there. Excuse me. I'm gonna jump to verse six. At the end of verse six, it says, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look. At God, verse 7, lastly, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. So the key word here that's operative is this idea of seeing, the idea of to see or to look. And that word, this great sight is the noun version of the word. And I want to suggest to you that what the text is telling us here is that God is revealing himself to Moses. He's coming to Moses and he's separating the great veil that separates Moses and God. As we read a little further on in verse 14, one of the most famous and one of the most important verses of all the scriptures, Exodus 3.14, where God reveals his divine name to Moses. Moses says, who do I say has sent me? And he says, I am who I am. Really important verse in scripture, one of the most important verses in scripture. So once again, I believe in this text one of the key notions that's being communicated with us as God's people reading and listening to the text is that God has revealed himself to Moses. And I find that interesting because this tells us that Moses wasn't wandering about looking for God. That Moses came to this understanding of who God is and an embrace of a calling for the sake of the mission of the world because God first drew him in, right? This reminds us, just as Jesus said, no one comes to me unless I draw him First, no one, no one of us sitting here this morning can claim that we are a Christian, a believer in the historical Jesus Christ who died and rose again, born of a virgin, all that wonderful stuff encapsulated or enshrined in the Apostles' Creed. We don't believe these things because we just stumbled upon it or because it's rational We believe these things, and we embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior because Jesus has first drawn us to himself, right? No credit of our own. And as God draws Moses to himself, and Moses says, I need to take a look at this thing. This is really bizarre. He starts to approach the bush and God calls out from the bush and he says, Moses, before you come any closer, you've got to take your shoes off because the ground on which you are standing is holy. And I want to suggest to us this morning that if we want to respond to the provenient grace of God that draws us to himself, or if we want to Draw close to the Holy Spirit to get a better look at the third person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal, indivisibly united with the Father and Son. If you want to answer this question, who is the Holy Spirit? You have to first come to grips and reconcile with God's holiness. You can only get so close if you don't come to grips with his holiness. And so I believe that the first step into getting an intimate view of who the Holy Spirit is as he's revealing himself, we have to first understand his holiness. And we all know, as good Methodists, as good Wesleyans, that holiness is something that we like to think about and talk about. So another question we must ask is, what is holiness? Well, it's nothing other than being qualitatively different, set apart, other than, Distinct, right? One of the best ways we can define this notion of holiness is looking at the first time the word holy appears in the Bible. Now, if we were in Sunday school, I'd test your Bible, you know, I'd do Bible trivia and ask, where is the first occurrence of the word holy in the Bible? And I know Bob McElroy knows the answer, but I will say it's Genesis chapter one, so right at the very beginning, where he creates in the six days, and on the seventh day, he rested and he set it apart. He sanctified it. He made it holy. Because this seventh day is different. It's distinct. It's other than the other six days. Days. The other six days are working days where God speaks everything into being. Light and the firmament and the dry ground and then the sun, moon, and stars and the birds and the fish and, of course, humanity and land-dwelling animals. Days one to six are activity, work days. Day seven is a pause day. It's a stop day. It's a done day. It's different. And let me remind us, let me take this moment, church, this morning and say Christians are supposed to be different than the rest of the world we should never adopt a policy of accommodation to the ways of the world we are always supposed to be set apart and christians weird we are called to be weird and if you're not ready to be weird for jesus find another deity to follow I mean that quite seriously. The disciples on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and they said, look at those weirdos. They're drunk first thing in the morning. And they said, oh, we're not drunk with wine. We're drunk with the Spirit. I pray that this church would be a church that's drunk with the Holy Spirit of God, that looks different and that looks weird and that has the courage to stand up and say, no, no, God can transform us. We go away different. But in any case, different, holy. And I want to say to you this morning that there are two ways in which God and the Holy Spirit is included in that. God the Spirit, third person the Trinity, is different, is distinct. So when we say God is holy, we're saying God is different. But how is he different? Well, there's two, again, two ways. First, and this is going to sound like theological, philosophical, but I'm going to explain it. I think it'll have teeth for you this morning. He's different in his being. He's a completely different kind of being than we are as created beings, as creatures, We have a beginning, right? There's a time in which we did not exist. God, however, has no beginning. He has existed for eternity to eternity. In other words, he is infinite or eternal. And that includes the Holy Spirit. He's different in his being. And there are a couple of other ways in which God is different. Eternality. He's infinite. He has no beginning. He's always existed. But the other ways we group into this category that's called the incommunicable attributes of God. And that's a big phrase. But it means the things about God that he shares with no one else. They're unique to him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are different than everything created in that, number one, they're eternal. And Hebrews 9, chapter 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit, as the Father and as the Son, is likewise eternal, infinite, has always existed. But yet another attribute of the Holy Spirit As God, that's an incommunicable attribute, is His, and you know these, they're the omnis, right? His omniscience. Unlike us, He knows all things. He's perfectly wise, there's no deficiency in His knowledge. Every hair on our heads is counted. Jesus says, I saw you sitting under a tree. And Nathan goes, he told me things that no one else knows. Jesus sees the thoughts of the Pharisees as they criticize him internally. God is omniscient. He knows all things. The spirit, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, knows all things of God. He searches all things. So he's eternal. He's all-knowing. Unlike us, he's different in this way. He's also omnipotent, almighty, he can do all things, he's all-powerful, but he's also omnipresent, right? You know the great psalm that talks about where can I go from your spirit? If I try to go up to the highest point in heavens, there I find you. And I descend to the lowest point in Sheol, there you are. God's presence is everywhere. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. These are the incommunicable attributes of God. Eternality, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. Now, pause with me. Like, I just took you on this little journey that's kind of heady, right? Right? It's complicated. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. That we, as created beings, cannot possibly fully understand these things. We can't wrap our minds around this notion of what it means to know all things. We just can't get it. There's no way for us to understand that. Even eternality, right? How, how do we really explain that God is in the past, in the present, and in the future all at once? Or that he's all-powerful, or that he's eternal? These are things that it's impossible for our human minds and even hearts to understand. There's no way for us to truly, I'm talking about the incomprehensibility of God. So in other words, when God calls Moses into his presence, take off your sandals, you're standing in holy ground, and Moses has to come to grips with the otherness, the incomprehensibility of God. Moses has to begin to understand that he understands nothing. Now this is interesting What I'm suggesting to you this morning is that God, well not just suggesting, I've said it directly, he's incomprehensible. Born of a virgin, how does that work? Any any biologists in here that can explain that to me? Was crucified, dead, buried, descended into hell, where's that? And on the third day rose... Quantum physicists, can you give me some explanation of how that bodily resurrection works? Is it new code introduced to human DNA? How does does that operate? A part of who God is is that he's too big for us to understand. So what are we doing here if we can't understand him? Well, here's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he makes God comprehensible to dum-dums like me and like you. How's that for a technical term, Barry? <laughs> Dum-dum. <laughs> Wait a minute. Part of his omnipotence, part of his unlimited power, part of his might, part of him being almighty, is that he is able to communicate himself to me and to Barry and to even you. And who does that? Jesus says, you have a helper, you know. The Holy Spirit does that. Okay, okay. You know, we have these, I know I'm coming to the end of our time, very, very (laughs) reconnaissance of that, okay. We have Presbyterians and we have Methodists and we have Baptists and we have... All kinds of other groups. There's the main ones down here in the deep south, right? And there are all sorts of others. Sorry if I've left anybody out. It's like, well, wait, doesn't that reality tell us? Doesn't that tell us that salvation and the gospel and this book is, is really complicated to the point where we can't really agree on what it really means, right? Isn't that what the implication is behind that reality of the divisions in the church? But yet, we can baptize a baby, and a child can say, I believe in my heart and confess in my mouth that Jesus. As Lord and Savior? If it's that complicated that bright minds like Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Wesley and Thomas Aquinas and the list, Augustine, all the names, these brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people, they can't decide on what this really means, right? How can we say that a child can understand it? Or how can the Bible say that the scripture can be used to make the simple Wise. That means simple people can understand it. And here's the answer. The Holy Spirit helps us. You know how we can baptize a baby? Because we believe there's a mystery at work. It's not something that we can explain or fully understand. We can begin to explain it. But exhausting the depths of the mystery of the fact that we're alive in the person of Jesus Christ because of a confession that's gifted to us by the Holy Spirit, that's no human explanation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit spirit how can a child raise one's hand how can i say i know what this text means because we have a helper now here's what's key and this is what i want to drive home in this last 30 seconds god has revealed himself in the person of jesus christ how do we know who god is because he's made us able to understand he took on flesh and dwelt among us Jesus the incarnate deity which is why we have to be careful we have to be really careful when we stop and talk about and study and write books on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's job is to make God communicable to us so that we can understand and walk with him and talk with him even though he's infinitely vast, omnipotent, omnipresent eternal, infinite. It's like I don't get that you don't need to get that the Holy Spirit can help you walk with him in intimacy. And the Holy Spirit conceives Jesus in the womb and brings Jesus into the world. The Holy Spirit doesn't want the attention. He wants Jesus to get the attention. The Holy Spirit is the invisible deity. Jesus is the visible deity. I love this. When we look around at these stained glass windows... I'm looking for a a symbol of the Holy Spirit. I'm looking for a dove or fire or wind or something, oil, and all I see is Jesus. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants us to see Jesus. He helps us to walk with God in intimacy so that the world can see Jesus. I'm out of time. Come to part two at the next service this morning. I'll see you guys in Sunday school. (laughs) Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing Jesus to us and bringing us to Jesus. We know that you're invisible and you work in ways we can't feel or see or hear or understand at times. And we thank you for that. And we ask that you continue to do your work as we take off our shoes and come into your presence with humility, asking you to reveal yourself to us in a way that we would go away transformed and looking utterly different. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.